You are tuning in to For Better Self and Net Worth Podcast. This is a podcast where I encourage you to live the life of your dreams by adopting the right mindset, navigating through tough challenges, and respecting your bank account. I interview entrepreneurs and empire builders from across the globe as they share how they have come to live the lives of their dreams and the challenges they had to break through. I also have a few solo episodes where I talk about the lessons learned and navigating in a world full of naysayers, negative mindsets, and money grabbers. I personally believe that attitude is everything, and with the right attitude, you can get the life that you dream of. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you're listening, make sure you have hit the subscribe button, and on Apple, give me some love by leaving a review. Most of all, I hope every episode you hear on here leaves you inspired and on fire to live your best life without breaking the bank. Welcome back to For Better Self and Net Worth, everyone. On this episode, I'm going solo. I haven't done a solo episode in a while. It's been over six weeks. And on this solo episode, I'm going to be diving into lessons that I have learned around building and maintaining strong relationships in my life with the amazing community that I've built and strengthening the relationships that I've also had with my family and old lifelong friends throughout my life. On top of my gratitude list has sat the friendships that I have and what my friendships used to look like now strike a drastic difference than 10 years ago where my friends were the company I kept, people that I explored the city with, traveled the states with, had long phone conversations with, caught up on the latest gossip. What my vision of friendship, it was they were great friendships. They were great friends, showed up for each other. But my meaning of friendship has actually changed over the years and it's just been for the better. And why I say that is that today I have a close group of friends that showed up for me in so many ways possible. They've been checking on me and my family throughout the year. They grieved with me, even cried with me over the passing of my cat, Simba. Simba was the co-host in the background that you used to hear purring on the show. They came over, helped me put up my Christmas tree, two of my close friends. I've shared a lot of deep conversations, deeper than what I was used to having around just spiritual journeys, life experiences, what I want the future to look like, just so many deeper conversations. And then this past weekend, I reconnected with friends that I see them a couple times a year, but just got to pick up right where we left off. And what was really special about this is we talked about everything under the sun. We talked about our futures, what we wanted out of life. We talked about what was next for us, how things have changed in the past five years for us. And we also broke out into a dance party in the middle of the kitchen danced together, laughed together, just had conversations about them that learned something new about them, even though I've known most of them for years, but it was just a really special experience and it actually inspired this episode. I also had, as many of you know, I went to Mexico in October, knowing only one person, but the one person that I knew, knew everybody else. I felt extremely safe going with them, but It was an incredible experience, not only for the sightseeing, the adventures, everything we got to do down there, just how beautiful Puerto Rico really is. But I met 10 women in where I was in a total safe place with. 
I was able to be extremely vulnerable with them. And the vulnerability that I shared, I was greeted with a lot of comfort, compassion, and support. These women were my best friends. They're still people that I think about every single day, but I left that retreat with 10 new best friends. And it was just incredible. And that's another reason I really wanted to talk about relationships on this show, how to nurture them, how to build the friendships and elevate the friendships you have. And even some of the friendships that are no longer serving you, how to just kind of, what are signs that you need to kind of put those behind you. But first, since this is my first solo episode since October, I actually have two books I want to highlight upon. Usually I have one book that I discuss, but I've got two books and there are three different people discussing these books, but there is a reason I'm tying them together. So bear with me. I'm going to reveal that reason, but I want to go ahead and talk about the books first. So the first book that I want to talk about, it was written by someone who used to live in the same neighborhood as me. I also used to volunteer with this person. Everybody knew him. This person has a very warm presence. He shows kindness to everyone he meets. He also sees the best in others around him. Usually we would do in volunteering, we talk about what we knew about this person. He always had something kind, constructive to say about that person that we were highlighting. He saw the best in others. And he also has this smile that you can just, you can spot this guy from a mile away by the way he smiles. When I saw that he was writing a book and it was available available to pre-order on Amazon, I instantly jumped on that because I want to write a book one day. And when I see somebody that I see very often is writing a book and having it published, not only has he written an amazing book, done amazing work, it's been recommended by people like Jimmy Kimmel, Heather Locklear, one of the actors in Hamilton, and Joy Reid has recommended it. Oh my gosh, um, Adam Durrett from Counting Crows recommended this book. And I, I can't remember the actor's name from Hamilton. It's killing me. But so many famous people, well-known people have recommended this book. And I just knew it was going to be an amazing read. But what I didn't know about this person, I knew this person was a Christian, loved to volunteer, had compassion for others. What I really didn't know is he had the same love for musical theater as I did. And one of my favorite classic rock bands is Bon Jovi. He loves Bon Jovi. I never knew that, but he talks about it in the book, throughout the book, basically the whole time. He's also a big Harry Potter fan. I think he's a Gryffindor from what I was reading in the book. But I never knew that I related to this person in that way. The book is called I Take My Coffee Black by Tyler Merritt. Before Tyler wrote I Take My Coffee Black, he had a viral video titled before you call the cops. And this video was released in lieu of some of the violence and murder of black people due to the color of their skin and just racism that was really ugly and unnecessary. And we also had a situation where a girl did not put her dog on a leash and the person was telling her to put the dog on a leash because that's what a decent person would have done. He was bird watching and she freaked out because a black man was telling her what to do instead of doing the right thing. She was freaking out. She was going to call the cops because she felt threatened. And unfortunately this stuff is continuing to happen across the U S and it needs to be addressed. But he released this viral video before you call the cops. And what this video did is challenge the many stereotypes that, a lot of Americans sadly have towards black people. 
And this video was him saying who he really was versus what people see in him. And this book just dives a lot deeper into who he really is versus what people see on the outside. Tyler talks about the numerous places in town where he grew up, across the U.S., the connections that he's made, the heartbreaks he's had to overcome, things that we can all relate to. And he even talks about this white people cranberry club. Yes, it's a white people cranberry club. There's even a t-shirt that says white people cranberry club on his website, but you really have to read about, you have to read the book to know what this white cranberry, white people cranberry club is all about. It's really interesting, but I, I really want you to read about it. My greatest takeaway in this book was just at the beginning when he was walking around the same neighborhood that I've jogged in. And when he walked in this neighborhood, he comes across a woman and the woman freaks out and is terrified of him. And knowing him, knowing what I know about him, I have no idea why this woman would be terrified of him because he's one of the warmest, friendliest people that I've ever come in contact with. I don't know him super well, but I know him well enough to know that it's senseless to be afraid of this guy. He's just very kind, but it was so hurtful to him. And I can only imagine what that feels like because this woman was stereotyping him. She had no idea who he was. And she was afraid of him. And it just, it just struck an emotion with me of how hurt he must have been in that moment. Because I, I can only imagine how he felt. And the second book is, it's going to follow a completely different lifestyle. But I actually had one of the same takeaways, the same, I saw a, a similar underlying theme to this. So I wanted to tie it in. And you're going to have to hear me out on this one. But I've had this book for about four years and I've been wanting to read it, wanting to read it. But I started the book and then I had other books that I wanted to read instead, or I just had other things to do. And I put this book back on the shelf, I pulled it out and started to read it again. And I had some similar emotional, I, I, I emotionally aligned with this book and I came across this book and wanted to read this book because I'm a huge fan of Jenna Bush Hagar on NBC. I've actually followed Jenna and Barbara, slightly followed their lives. And this was after they were being scrutinized for having a fake ID as a college student. Now, as just, I'm just going to say this, it's super, super, super common for a college student to partake in underage drinking at some point or to find a way to fake out either by using a fake ID. I know when I was in college, there was a bar close by that everybody went to. And main practice was when you walked in, you showed them your ID, show them your real ID. If you were over 21, you got a wristband. If you were under 21, you got X's Sharpie on your hands. Well, what you do is if you're under 21, you get the X's on your hands. You go to the bathroom, wash it off, put a little oil on there. If you've got like an oily moisturizer or essential oil, orange essential oil, you just wash those X's off your hands. You can even put a little foundation on them. Nobody knew you had X's on your hands. Also, the wristbands that they provided to people over 21 could be commonly bought at a craft store. So everybody had those in their purse on hand. Well, bada bing, bada boom, you exit the bathroom, go into the bathroom underage, exit the bathroom, able to buy a beer. So... Yeah, I'm just saying this because I remember the press freaking out over Jenna and Barbara being caught with fake IDs when this is something every college student goes through, but they were caught with fake IDs and the 
bar manager was quoted saying, I want to get them in as much trouble as I can. It was on the voice recording. He said, I want to get them in as much trouble as I can. And it was because their dad was a well-known politician. And when I listened to that, I, I just remember thinking of how unfair that was for them. But the book covers so much more than that. So just like Tyler Mayer and I, Jenna loves musical theater. And I didn't know that until I saw her become an honorary guest in the musical Chicago on the Today Show, NBC, that she was hosting. And I also knew that after reading the book that she was in the musical theater. Barbara, when I read the book, I learned that she had a passion for getting medicine to third world countries and fighting AIDS. She studied at Yale and she had a lot of accomplishments. She's the CEO of Global Health Corps and has dedicated her life to bettering the health of others in third world countries that were often overlooked. But in the book, it talks about how she is often scrutinized now because, well, when the book, she's actually married now, but when the book was written, she wasn't married and people were scrutinizing her for that, but they didn't want to see that she was a CEO and she was doing a lot of amazing things in her life. I follow the stories in a book called Sisters First that was co-written by Barbara Pierce Bush and Jenna Bush Hagar. It was published in 2017. They just, their book, just very phenomenal women and you get a chance to see who they really were and not who the mainstream media portrayed them to be. Most people look at them. They know them as daughters of former president George W. Bush and Laura Bush. They're also the grandchildren of George Herbert Walker Bush and Barbara Bush. But what the underlying theme of this book is they really wanted to be seen for who they really are. And they went out and carved their own lives aside from politics. Now, politics aside, and also just let me be clear, I'm not highlighting this book to be political at all. I'm highlighting this book because I think we've all identified with them. I'm going to get more into the theme of why I'm highlighting both these books later. But I just want you to know that this, this particular book was not to be political, but it's because both Barbara and Jenna were referred to as Bush twins. They weren't allowed to have individuality. And they were also not only were they twins and always seen as like one or the other, they also really were seen as, okay, part of a political dynasty when neither one of them were really into politics. Also, another thing aside from politics, I would not mind if somebody told me that I reminded them of the first lady, Barbara Bush, because if you look up Barbara Bush, she was truly a badass. She got scrutinized for holding the first AIDS baby. She spoke her mind. She was really sassy, always a leader in her own way. And she even saw uh, George Herbert Walker and George W. Bush straight a few times. But now, now just going back to that. But again, I did not recommend Sisters First to be political, but I wanted you, the reason I recommend this book is because I was able to see Jenna and Barbara for the individuals that they were, what they had in common, what they were different, and just hear about them and having a chance to talk about their lives and who they were and who they were passionate about without the overshadow of whose daughter they were or what the media was casting upon them. So let's get to the takeaway 
of why I wanted to tie these two books together, because I know you're probably wondering why I wanted to do that. In these books are obviously different struggles, different levels of struggle, what they've been going through. But I feel like every single person listening knows that as a matter of fact, it's going to effing hurt when people cast a perception of you without making the effort of getting to really know you. It really hurts when you're being seen, as Tyler Merritt puts it. Tyler Merritt says, it hurts when you're being seen, but not fully seen. I'm going to share a quote that I cling to, and it's by Tim Keller. And this is how the quote reads. To be loved, but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Wow. I know we can all relate after reading these books and just in general, we all want to relate to wanting to be known and loved at the same time. However, we can all recall times in our lives when we have been put out there, we've put ourselves out there and we're not fully known or we're not fully loved. We're definitely not known and loved at the same time. So just as an example of how I'm going to relate myself to this. I used to have a group of acquaintances that would tease me because my dad was a pastor. Apparently our society has a lot of stereotypes on what a daughter of a pastor is and who they think I should be. Toby Keith and Eli Young have done nothing to help this because I've heard the songs that they wrote on the radio and I really don't appreciate them. But what they also don't realize is that my dad has so many more facets to him than make up who he is. Aside from being a pastor with a master's and PhD from Duke University, he was a former radio DJ. He's a country boy, cancer survivor. He counsels so many people through the toughest years of our lives. He's also asked to officiate because he has had an impact on some of these couples that he has married. He's had many strong relationships through his life. He's one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. He'll do anything to make you laugh. He used to do just about anything to make us laugh when we were children. Who wants a day without laughter? Especially not me. I don't want a day without laughter. He might even kill me for sharing this with you guys, but I think people deserve to know. They need to know this. My dad is a cat lover. He won't say it out loud, but you're going to hear it from me first. And I say this because he got me my first cat when I was seven years old. Her name was Emily. And he loved Emily. He'd play with her, come and scratch her. And he would say, this is the only cat I like it. This is the only cat that I like. That was until he met my cat, Sassy. Sassy, I got about 15, no, 13 years ago. I've had, I got Sassy 13 years ago. She passed away, of course, a week before Christmas in 2020. But he would go up to Sassy, pet her, scratch her head. He gave her this nickname, Pusshead, because he loved her so much. And would always ask about her. And then after Sassy passed, I would travel with Simba for Christmas one year. I took Simba with me to see my family. He came with me with Easter. And he also stayed with my parents when I'd go on long trips, when I went to Mexico and California, when I went skiing with my brother, Simba would stay with them. Simba bonded with my dad and my dad would brag about Simba sleeping with him, sleeping on his head. And 
He probably doesn't want everyone to know that he loves cats, but he does. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I think the world needs more men who love cats because cats are awesome and underrated. They're not fully known and loved either. But for many, they see my dad as, oh, he's just a pastor. They're like, oh, heaven forbid he have a beer or laugh at an unchristian joke on TV or even say a word as I'm going to put will not be in the Bible. People have these certain expectations around him. Now, for me growing up, I remember just how much it used to hurt my feelings when someone in my church would introduce me as the preacher's daughter or people in school would say something about me being a preacher's daughter. To me, it was just like, okay, well, my dad earns a living. What does your dad do for a living? Don't get me wrong. I'm so proud of the work my dad has done. But when I would hear that label put on me, it just made me feel diminished. And sometimes I still hear it in my 30s. It drives me insane. But it would make me feel diminished for who I really am. When somebody says I'm a preacher's daughter, I wanted to scream at them so badly. In high school, I wanted to say, look, I'm Ella Catherine, often known as Katie. I do a lot of musical theater and I've landed every role that I wanted, that I auditioned for when I was in high school. I'm a great dancer. I know tap, ballet, jazz. I sing alto and sing a soprano. I speak some French and I'm the top student in my class, Travian. I have a cat that I adore. I also want to let them know that I was going to be an actress one day and I was going to make enough money to give all the neglected animals in the world a home. And I also wanted to raise money and find the cure for cancer. I had so many dreams, so many ambitions. A lot of people did not know that about me. And I feel like I never got a chance to share that. And there were so many people who knew my parents. They never knew any of this about me. But the label, I said this earlier, it still comes up in my 30s. I had a recent time, I got really upset over a call during the ETSU football game. It didn't go my way and I was mad. So I cursed and somebody pointed at me and laughed. They're like, oh, look, preacher's daughter. And then I sat back at them. I said, okay, why are you going to blame my dad for my behavior when I get upset? That's really not fair. She's like, it's okay. I like it. I think it's funny. Then it came up again. I was with another group of people and I won cards against humanity And somebody in the game was like, well, she's a preacher's daughter. And they just protested it that way because they're protesting my win of the game. Well, what does that have to do with me winning cards against humanity? I'm just, I happen to have a good sense of humor. What does that have to do with my dad? And look, I know everyone is expecting me to some kind of Jamie Sullivan, but that's a fictional character by Nicholas Sparks for a reason. Don't expect anything out of me. Let me show you who I am. Also, just let me be a human for Pete's sake. But then again, Unless you've been in my shoes, you may not be able to possibly fathom why being labeled a preacher starter, just being labeled for that, you know, just as religious and all this, having a label and having expectations, why that is hurtful for me. I'll share something also kind of funny about this. And this is just another, like on the other hand situation, but in almost every church that my parents served at, there was always at least one guy that may have been close to my age that had a crush on me solely because my dad was a pastor. Again, I'm going to blame Toby Keith and Eli Young for this one. But I know they had a crush on me for no other reason because they didn't really know me. And they they may have attended the same church as me, but they really didn't know me. But many of them were, you know, great guys. They were smart. They were nice to look at. They were kind. But I knew they wanted to date me because they had a fetish with preacher's daughters. There is a fetish out there, guys, and it's downright creepy. They were obsessed with my parents. 
to a point where they sort of had a crush on my dad and then projected those feelings upon me. And it's so weird. But on all honesty, I think most of them are married now and are happy. So I'm happy for them. But I don't know if anybody's ever experienced anything like that, but I just thought it was the creepiest thing ever that people, even though they're great guys and they had good intentions, it just felt so weird that they had a crush on me because my dad was a pastor. I don't know if anybody's experienced anything like that before that's listening, but if you have, I'd love to hear about it. Share it with me. But I share that because both situations, I was known on a superficial level. In a church setting, I didn't feel like I stood a chance because people already had an idea of me in their minds. They thought I was Jamie Sullivan or I don't know a bad, I don't know a bad preacher's daughter. Who's a bad preacher's daughter? Oh, um, Beyonce's a preacher's daughter. Nobody picks on her. Jessica Simpson's a preacher's daughter. Oh, Ashley Simpson. Maybe that's the rebellion. Maybe I wasn't Ashley Simpson or something, but they already had this idea of me in their mind and I was never given space to be fully known and fully loved. Tyler Merritt talks about in his book how he was never felt fully known and fully loved by a lot of people because of the color of his skin. A lot of people didn't know that his favorite band is Bon Jovi or that he loved musical theater, that he's from Las Vegas, that he was an army brat. He had so many facets to them that a lot of people would overlook otherwise. And then Jenna and Barbara Bush, they're often referred to as the Bush twins or the first daughters. They had so many passions of their own and found a way to make an impact of the world that did not involve politics. So I hope every one of you listening is inspired by this. I know you probably have a similar story of some type where you felt like you were known, but not fully known. And in return, you didn't feel fully loved. So that's why I wanted to share that. And While we may not be able to change someone's perception of us, what we can do is to be the person that gets to know other people, our friends, our acquaintances, significant others, and coworkers on a deeper level, and in return, making them feel known and loved. With a new year coming up, as this is being recorded, I wanted to share these intentions with you guys. And... I want to talk about how I'm going to relate to others going forward. So I have a list of four. I want to call them the four agreements of friendship, but I don't want to get into copyright issues here. So I'm going to call them the four practices of friendship. I'm going to get into the first practice, go into the fourth practice right after a message from the sponsor. Hello again. Let's go ahead and get into the first practice of friendship. I want to call it the four agreements of friendship, but then again, I don't want to run into copyright issues. I'm going to call it the first practice. And that first practice for me is to avoid surface level conversation and really get to know you on a personal level and give each and every one of my friends a time to talk about who they really are and feel like they can share with me who they are so I can fully know them and love them for who they are. So Jenna actually talks about this in Sisters First. She talks about when she's interviewing people on NBC, she wants to highlight something about them that many people don't know. She avoids asking them what they're wearing and just everyday general conversation. She wants them to talk about something deep and give them a platform and a chance to be known for who they really are or to just basically spill their guts. She's had a lot of great conversations with many of our guests. If you've ever seen her interview somebody It just, she always goes beneath the surface, reaches into, you know, 
their emotions or gives them a chance to reveal something about them that you may not even know. It could be something that's been famous for 20, 30 years and they get to reveal something new about them that they haven't revealed before. And that's really what I want to do just as an example on this show for each of my guests. I want to give my guests a chance to not only talk about their business, but the real why behind it. You'll notice the why has never really been about money for many of them. Much of it comes from an experience they've had in their life that led them to start their own business. So for my friend Carly, it was a medical diagnosis. For Janina, it was escaping a toxic relationship and wanting to create a better life for her and her son. For Howard Deckard, he felt like that, Howard Deckard, he felt like that he wanted to give other people a shot at financial freedom and to be the boss of their own money. For Don Mansky, she's wanting to fight human trafficking. Judy Tangerly and Laura Binky, they left perceived perfect lives to pursue what was really going on in their hearts. And they really wanted to coach others and help other people to find true happiness. If you haven't had a chance to listen to any of these, go ahead and stream them, put them on your bench list because I'm not just interviewing them for them to talk about their business and what they do every day and what their hobbies are. I want them to inspire you to use their story, to inspire you to do whatever you want to do with your life, not just talk about common business. So in person, if you were to see me at a party, if I were just meeting you for the first time, my goal is not to ask, well, what's new with you? Or what do you do? Like those questions that you get asked probably every single day or every time you see someone you haven't run into it for a while. So instead of that, what I'm going to ask you is, I'm going to ask you what you're passionate about. What's your latest passion? What is lighting you on fire right now? Or if I'm just meeting you, I may just ask, hey, what are you passionate about? What do you like to do for fun? I just really want to know what lights you up, what you're passionate about, what it could be. That could be a business that you're starting. That could be that you foster animals. You might teach Sunday school. You may be an activist. I don't necessarily care that you have different religious views or political views than I did. I just want to hear what you're passionate about. I want you to give you a chance to talk about what really lights you up, what really makes you smile, what really just drives you to get up in the morning and do something doesn't necessarily have to be for money, but just what you want to see, what kind of change you want to see, something, a cause that you're working towards that may be even bigger than yourself. I love hearing that. That's why I love doing this show and interviewing a lot of entrepreneurs and hearing about their business because they're obviously really passionate about what they do. If I see you in person, I want to give you that same platform. I want to hear what you are passionate about. My second practice, this is going to sound really silly, but it has served me well for over a decade now. And I learned this back in my sorority days. We would use this practice during new member recruitment when we were talking to people we haven't met before. And an advisor told us to avoid the four B's. The four B's are booze, boys, Bible, and bank accounts. I'll say that again. Booze, boys, Bible, and bank accounts. So you might think I may be contradicting that because I said earlier, I want to hear what you're passionate about. But if you want to bring that to me, that's fine. If you want to talk about your faith, you want to talk about your politics to me, I'm fine with that. But the reason we avoided the four B's during recruitment is we know that these topics were a bit narrow and these are topics that make people feel judged. Think about it. Laura Binky and I discussed how women were often judged and this was few episodes back, we've talked about when women were judged by relationship status and measured by relationship status instead of being celebrated for personal achievements. People wanted to know who you were dating, if you were talking to anybody, if you're seeing anybody. Sometimes people want to know that more than they want to know about what you're passionate about. 
that's something I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be in your business about your personal life. Unless you want to share that with me, you can. But avoid the boys. Booze, I rarely drink. I may have a glass of wine every now and then. But yeah, this, of course, you know, there's a reason you don't talk about it. We're told not to talk about booze in college. We're told not to go around talking about partying all the time. But again, booze, I rarely drink. It. I think White Claw is disgusting. That's an unpopular opinion. But if you drink it, more power to you. I'd rather just have a bubbly or Waterloo without the alcohol, without the extra calories. Bible? I'm a Christian. I'm very spiritual. I don't mind talking about that with you. Bank accounts? That's none of my business. If as long as you're just staying afloat, you're making a decent living, that's none of my business. But those four topics make people uncomfortable. And there's a reason that's always been avoided. So instead, some of the things I'm going to talk about with you I want to talk about something that will make you feel loved and known for your unique traits. And some topics that I enjoy discussing, for example, include history. I definitely consider myself a buff on the Salem witch trials because I have a sister-in-law that's an archivist and a feminist. I love talking about psychology, the way the human mind works. I can really go into that if other people like to talk about psychology. It's probably not everyone's best interest, but... I also love to discuss what the future may hold. If cryptocurrency is all the rage that it's supposed to be. I like talking about places I like to travel. I like to hear about where other people have traveled. I love talking about books. You guys already know that. I even talk about, I love to binge watch on Netflix. I don't watch a whole lot of TV or movies. I like to hear what other people are watching, what they're passionate about. I was the last person to finish Game of Thrones, but hear me out. I read the books first and then I watched the TV series. But I... I've actually connected with a lot of people I work with over loving Game of Thrones. So that has actually built a friendship in itself. But anyways, yeah, I want to cover topics that you're passionate about instead of something that's going to make you feel judged. My third practice that is in connection to friendship is abstaining from trying to fix the other person. I found myself in this situation a lot in my 20s. So it's one thing to try to help somebody out in the situation if you're being sought out for help. But when you feel like somebody is trying to fix you, that's going to hurt on another level. I hear this a lot from my single friends when they have another friend or family member that's always trying to set them up. And most cases, here's the thing. In most cases, when people are single, they're doing this by choice, whether consciously or subconsciously, they're choosing to be single. They're either happy with the way things are. They like the life they live. They like not having to answer to anybody or they, you know, they're just not wanting to settle. And that's okay too. People that are happy with themselves don't need to be in a relationship to fulfill that. People who are happy with themselves are not going to rush into a relationship. They're not going to be quick to settle. They're not going to measure their happiness based on a relationship status. But that's something that we see a lot. And I think Oh, that was just thing in the South. One of my friends asked me why people in the South were like that. We're always fixated on relationships or if it's just something we do as a society in general, the movies show us on the happy ending, the womanized ends up in a relationship. But you know, in reality is people can find happiness in so many other ways by living the life that they want by design. So again, avoid trying fixing your friends. If you see a friend that's single, they're not a charity case. Don't fix them up. Another example of trying to fix somebody is something that I was actually guilty of. And this was a couple years back. I had a friend that was in a very toxic relationship and she would come to me for advice. 
And I, I would tell her what I thought. And in this situation, she was actually chasing the guy without him pursuing any interest in her. She would highlight the good times. She's like, oh, he's so sweet. He cuddled with me. He watched a movie with me. He made me dinner. That's so sweet. But she would fixate on the good things. But the guy overall was treating her like crap. And I told her what I thought of the situation. I said, well, you know what? Since he's flirting with other girls right in front of you, why don't you just block his number and just move on? That was my advice. That's what I gave her. I didn't think he was worth fixating on. Well, the next day I get a text message like, oh, by the way, I'm giving him another chance. Things are great now. She made it a point to text me during the day just to tell me that things were going great and she's giving him another chance. I felt offended because she didn't take my advice. She just, everything I said went in one ear and out the other. And it made me feel like I wasn't being respected because this person talked to me for over two hours about the situation. I invested my time into this and in return was not listened to. At the end of the day, this was her decision to make. And it really didn't affect me other than the time I was wasting trying to help her. But it just exemplifies how basically the reason I'm a huge psychology nerd, but don't have any desire to be a therapist because I would take it personal as a three or the wing of four. I would take it personal if somebody didn't listen to me. And it's really sad because I don't necessarily hear from this person anymore, but I wish this person the best. I hope she finds self-love. I hope she's willing to set boundaries and on a journey to true happiness. And this leads me to the last practice I have around friendship. And you'll see these practices really do connect to each other. But the best practice I have is, and I've talked about this on the show before, this probably isn't going to be the last time I talk about it, but you've got to set some boundaries. For many of us, boundaries can be perceived as if you're putting up a wall against somebody, but it's actually the exact opposite. Boundaries, they're really just a way of showing that you care enough about the relationship to communicate those boundaries and expect those boundaries and let the other person set boundaries as well. Boundaries nourish friendships. Boundaries do not build walls between friendships. If somebody thinks that the boundary is building a wall and they found that offensive, then they really don't belong in your life. But if somebody respects your boundary, as in not trying to fix your dating life or not soliciting to you for advice that you don't want to talk about, it's sometimes it's okay to say, look, then looking back, I would have said this. I would have said, look, I know you like this guy. I know you're fixated on him, but I'm not the person to help you out in this situation. And I would have said that. And it would have set that boundary and maybe things would have been different now. But what I'm saying is when you set boundaries, you are saying, I care enough about this relationship to strengthen it. Another way to set boundaries is I saw a lot of friendships end over political differences in 2020 or differences in personal health care decisions. And it's just really sad. And sometimes it's okay to say, look, I know you disagree with me. I'd rather just not talk about this or even say, okay, I respect your decision to do this. Please respect my decision to not want to do this, but it's just so many people. I think something about the pandemic has had a lot of people overstep the boundaries or even seeing somebody disagreeing with them as being an offensive attack on them. And it really isn't, but I go back to this setting boundaries and just being honest shows that you really, really care about the relationship. So probably listening to this, some of these all kind of sound the same. It's about, you know, just going beyond the surface level, setting boundaries and just nurturing the friendship. But I'm going to summarize the four practices in your connections and your friendships. 
and then we'll conclude the show. So the first practice, asking open-ended questions to go beyond surface level for friendship. Ask a lot of questions that are going to set your friend up to talk about something they haven't talked about before, enabling them to be vulnerable. Don't get stuck talking about the weather or talking about the latest gossip, whatever it is people talk about. You know, ask them something, questions, ask them something that's unique to them. Another, the other one, super easy to remember, avoid the four Bs, boys, booze, Bible, and bank accounts. That's just served me well throughout the years. So politics, we might not want to talk about, and I know I've scratched the surface on some of these, but it's just a good practice when you're first meeting somebody or if people have certain boundaries, not to discuss the four Bs, especially with, well, with my women, with Men, I don't, I don't know if they can discuss us or not. I don't really know what conversations men have with men, even though I'm the youngest of all brothers. But anyways, so avoid the four Bs, boys, booze, Bible, and bank accounts. Asking open-ended questions will be on the surface level. Number three, don't try to fix the other person, even if they are broken. That's what therapists and life coaches are for. Somebody's coming to you with a serious issue, recommend a life coach or a therapist. If your friend is trying to fix you, set that boundary. Say, look, I don't want you trying to fix me. You need to accept me as I am. But and again, true friends don't try to fix each other. True friends support each other and understand each other and really just cheer each other on. You don't need someone trying to fix you. Again, that's what therapists and life coaches are for. Number four, set boundaries to show that you want to work towards a nurture to continue their relationship. Boundaries are an act of love. Tell yourself that. They're not a wall to keep you between the other person. They're an act of love and to show that you care. So even though this was kind of a shorter episode, I do feel like I covered quite a bit today. And what it occurred to me is I got my Spotify wrapped last week and I don't know most of you that listen to the show. I may have not met many of you, but I am so honored that you take time out of your week to listen to the show. I feel like I am energetically connected to all of you. And I share a lot of things about myself that I don't share with everybody I see every day. And I just hope that you receive a lot of value in this episode, that you're inspired and that you'll continue to listen and I know, oh, something else, a lot of you guys, there are more listeners in countries than the countries I've traveled to. I've traveled to three different countries throughout my life. I've met listeners in 23 countries. I, uh, 5,000 people. I don't even have, I think I have barely a thousand friends on Facebook. So now I've got 5,000 people listening to my show. Oh my gosh. Just as thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, supporting what I'm passionate about. And if you want to help this girl out even further, feel free to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Spread the word. Tell me what you love about the show. And you can also subscribe on Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify to let others know about the show. But if you want to know what I'm passionate about, it is this podcast. So thanks again for listening. And I've got a real treat for you guys in the next upcoming episodes. So stay tuned for that. Might have a really cool New Year's episode in the works, but yeah, stay tuned and thank you all once again.